eventually Super Train episode 99, everyone. Wow, isn't that cool? I think it's cool. It's been a while. It's been, uh, what, 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 four and a half years now, finally up to 99. And I'm your host, Dan, your main, your main host, the guy that blabs the most. Your main host, the guy that blabs the most. And this is a short-lived TV show podcast. We cover short-lived TV shows that never got enough love. We go three shows at a time, one episode at a time, so we're very meticulous. Too meticulous sometimes? Eh, possibly. But regardless, this is... Eventually we'll cover Super Train, by the way, but not today. Uh, in episode 99 right now, we are covering Auto Man, episode 10, with my good friend... Kristen Hawes, a.k.a. Kiki Rice, yay! And then I am talking about episode 5 of On the Air, uh, which aired July 4th, 1992, the third and final episode of On the Air that aired on the network, but the fifth of seven episodes. And uh, what were you doing on July 4th, 1992? If you weren't alive yet, you're probably not as tired as I am. Then we wrap it up with Tim S. Turner. Tsst, is back one last time to discuss Nero Wolf. Episode 14, the final episode of the show. Oh, another show wraps up. We did a good job here. Yeah, Tim's been with us now, what, uh, 14, so about seven months or so? Six months, seven months? That's great. So I want to thank Tim. I want to thank Kristen. I want to thank anyone, anyone and everyone who's ever been on the show. And I think we should dive right in because this episode might be a little long. First episodes, last episodes, always a little long. So let us dive right in, and we will begin with Auto Man. Automan episode 10, Murder, Take One. Directed by Kim Manners, written by Sam Egan, March 19th, 1984. Normally I don't read someone else's synopses of this, but this episode I know is running a little long. So I just, I thought, and I thought this was pretty good. This is off of Wikipedia. Thank you, Wikipedia. Uh, all rights, Wikipedia. Former movie star Veronica Everly is a suspect in the murder of a gossip columnist, Ray Gillette. However, when Automan discovers that Hollywood producer has a greater motive for murder, he goes undercover as an actor to catch the real killer. Isn't that a lot better than my normal ramblings? Chris and I are going to be all over this episode, so just let me hit you with a little blast. We're on the other side. Be safe until then. Murder Take One, everyone. Episode 10 of Auto Man. Uh, much like the previous episode had murder in the title, Murder MTV, this episode has murder in the title. I think that sentence went a little screwball, but you know, you know what I'm talking about. And it's sort of kind of a similar, kind of as you heard from the plot breakdown, Murder MTV is sort of auto man and 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 um um uh, walter kind of uh putting themselves in a, a rockin band and this is uh auto man kind of putting himself into the production of a film so i would like to introduce you to your favorite to my favorite she's much beloved across the globe Kristen hawes aka kiki writes how are you Kristen? i am much beloved dan how are you yay i'm doing okay i'm doing okay it's um it's uh, it's actually, uh, it's it's it. We're recording this right before Thanksgiving, and this year I'm not doing. Um, I, I I told you about this beforehand, Chris, but I'm not doing um, I'm not doing a turkey dinner, but I have a bag of Brock's 
turkey dinner candy corn. And I'm going to lay out there six different flavors. is green bean, roasted turkey, cranberry sauce, ginger glazed carrots, sweet potato pie, stuffing. And they're kind of like 60s um, space food, you know, where they would give you a square and it would taste like steak. Or like, mm, there's a steak and potatoes, mm, stuffing and that kind of thing. So uh, that's going to be my turkey dinner this year. Just a plate full of candy corns that are all sorts of strange colors and taste like meat. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. So um, so uh, that's that's just, 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 just put us in context of where we are right now. It's Thanksgiving time. And let, let us um, let, let's dive right in. Uh, um, I was going to say murder turkey one, but it's murder <laughs> take one. What mur- I like saying it like that. It's not murder take one. It's murder take one. Why not? He, there's a murder. Take, take this one. Why not? Just get out there and take one. What's wrong with you? Um, murder. Who took one? Um, so, Kristen, what did you what did you what did you think of Murder Take One? Much like you know, Murder MTV. Uh-huh. I didn't really kind of care for it, but and it's weird for me. I think this is truly just a me thing because I when I watched it, I looked. I was like, overall, I was like, eh. I really, it's okay. But when I like was making my notes and stuff I'm like there are elements of this episode that I really like but then they put them all together and I went oh no I think it's like your candy corn I like turkey but I don't want turkey candy corn and I like the elements of this episode but I didn't like them all together so <laughs> I, um, what do you think that, yeah you, what you, you've said, I, I hate to say that you know what you've said is more or less sort of my thought on it there's some stuff I really enjoy about the episode I think it's I think it's got a it's got a fun guest cast it's 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 one of those episodes where sort of like murder MTV a bit it hit a point where I was like surely we must be near the end and I checked the time and I was like wow we've got a lot left there's just like auto man is fun in it and um jeez it's just it's just an episode that didn't um I don't know if it was my, my attention span is low or something like that, but both times I watched it for this, both times it, I had a really tough time getting into the episode. And I don't know if there was, like, one too many things going on in it. Like, now we're over here with the drug dealers. Now we're on the movie set. Now we're over here. Now we're over there. You know, I, I would have actually preferred it if it had... If it maybe there had been more focus on like on the movie set or something like that, I, I'm not sure because I, I like that and the sequence in the end where Automan is trying to delay the production of the film so they pass a certain time and then the drug dealer guy has to pay the whole twenty million for it, which seems oddly improbable to me. But that's that was the that was the plot. There, there's something about the the episode that I didn't find terribly engaging. Um, as you said, there there are elements to like about it. I had one of the biggest problems I had is I got confused with the blonde ladies on the set, and because there are two blonde ladies on the set, the one Auto Man really likes, and then another one, and I kept confusing them. Unless there is only one blonde lady, and I'm really confused. But there was a, there was a point where I was watching, going, "Now wait, is that the uh, no? That's the other blonde lady." And I just I just got confused. I got confused, but I didn't get bothered. Because I didn't go back and check it, check what my problem was, I just let it ride. So it's it's yeah it's it's an episode where Murder MTV had Laura Branigan who kept it as afloat as it, it could be, and Murder Take One 
has a couple of fun elements on like I said, I like the get guest cast and I do like Auto Man on, on the set trying to be a jerk and hold everything up. Until until the actual end of that, he doesn't really do anything Auto Man-y. He's just kind of a jerk. Um, and the plot is a little bit too overcomplicated with maybe one too many sort of double-cross moments and things like that near the end. It's, it's just an episode that... Uh, it, it felt like it could have been a Simon and Simon or something like that, and they just stuck Auto Man in it. I, I was never I was never as engaged as I was hoping I would be. And um, and I also think, and I'll mention this in a bit, I also think in the first few minutes there's some really bad writing and not very good acting going on, which kind of brought me out of it a little bit. But th- those are sort of my basics on it. Not a, not a great episode of Auto Man, although there are certainly elements to enjoy. I, I guess let, let's let's how, how about we'll do this one a little different from usual. Like what what was your what was your sort of favorite part about it, and what was your least favorite? I mean, the thing that really got on your nerves, uh, and then something you really loved. Either order. Well, I think my favorite moment of the episode, and it just it's so unfortunate that we have to wait till the very end, is at the end when Auto Man and Cursor wreck the set in order to stop them from filming the last scene. They Cursor creates havoc. There's wind blowing. He's knocking down statues because I don't know what the hell this set is supposed to be. It is the most god-awful, yeah. ugly, <laughs> yeah. I don't even know what movie you're shooting kind of a set with these statues and a gazebo and all of this. And and then he and Cursor, like, knocks stuff over and makes it snow and, like, everybody is just in shambles. And... Automan is sitting there laughing and like, you know, don't let anyone get hurt, Cursor. And that is the best, that's the best part of the whole episode. But unfortunately, it's at the very, or almost at the very end. Yes. Yeah. Worst part, the rest of it? No. Um, (laughs) (laughs) it's, It's hard to pick what I don't care for the most. Because like I said, it's just the way the elements combine. Because I have a note here that's like this... This episode is so messy, and that's what it kind of feels like to me is that the whole episode is um, – I don't know if it's like haphazardly put together or something, but there's something about it that just – it feels messy. It doesn't feel very cohesive. I mean it's got yes. a, a total auto man crime because the Ed Lautner there is um, financing a movie so his, his uh, side chick there can be in it. Mm-hmm. With drug money, and I'm like, that is a very auto man crime. I should be enjoying this, and I'm yes. not. Yeah. So maybe that's the part I don't like the most is that it's a very auto man crime, and yet I'm not enjoying myself. I yeah. should be enjoying myself. Yeah, it's it's a, there, there's something about it that's not terribly. There's a bit. I don't know if it's there's in in order to sort of get across what they're doing. There's there's a bit too much. There there is actually a scene between Ed Lauder and um. Is it is it's it's um, Tom Hartman, Greg M- Malavy? Is that, I, I've never said his last name out loud. Yeah, I think that's M- what it is, Malavy. Malavy. Um, and of course, yeah, he was Tom Hartman and Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, and, and um, Fernwood forever. Um, and he's in this. He plays the lawyer, a lot is lawyer. And um, and I will just point out. Um, uh, this is a bit of a spoiler. When you get to the Nero Wolf segment, this is a very Ed heavy episode of eventually super train i'm not going to say anymore but um uh but but there there's like a, there's a scene where the first scene between ed and greg is very much one of those scenes um where it's it's sort of like uh 
Uh, well, yes, the, um, the, the heroine's on the way. It'll be here tomorrow. Well, we got to get that movie done by 3 p.m. tomorrow. Yeah, I don't understand why we have to do that, because it's in the contract that if it's not done by 3 p.m., you have to pay for the whole thing. Oh, that's right, because the other backers won't do that. And, and it's, it's this weird conversation where there's so much exposition, and it's so clumsily like thrown at you. It's like, guys, Really? I mean, literally, they tell you what the whole setup is. Just these these two guys who should know already what's going on. <laughs> they they should have to, uh, and that 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 scene drove me up the wall. And um, my yeah, my my least there there is just like it, it's funny that the script is credited to one guy, Sam Egan, but it feels like it could have been like two people and then someone else did a rewrite and then maybe the script editor or show or whoever it was story editor on auto man did a final rewrite because it really feels sloppy and things don't feel connected like sort of like when um uh the the um jeez I, I never i forgot jack right jack is the jack. um jack when jack and the the chief there are like going after the drug dealers and it's sort of intercut with Auto Man on the set, um, uh, trying to slow the movie down. There, there's never. It's weird because there, when I watch it, there isn't a feeling of like like we're cutting between two like suspenseful, exciting things. It's like we're sort of just now we're here, now we're there, now we're do and there's never even though Kim Manners directed it, who did so many great um, X Files episodes. There's, there's never a sense of. You, like even when they have the time limit of we have to get the movie done by 3 p.m. There's there's a, a startling lack of urgency to sort of everything that happens in the episode, and and it it and as the episode goes along, it just keeps getting stretched out and stretched out. And th there's this weird thing too, where like um, you know, you, the film has to be done by 3 p.m. Well, ju just just keep rolling, like like if you just keep rolling the camera, you know, when 3 p.m. hits, we'll have a movie in there. You know, I just, it's its a weird kind of concept that, you know, it's like, we can't, it, it, it's something like if you, I guess like if we have to have the movie done by 3 p.m., you would think they maybe done do something like, okay, we've got like this stunt we have to do. And we're going to do a stunt, it has to be done by 3 p.m. And then Automan does everything he can to stop the stunt. But as you said, all of it takes place on this one set, which seems to be the only place they're in in the entire movie. And it's just a couple people talking. There's no urgency to it, no matter what goes on, and that kind of really hurts the episode, I think, because um, folks are trying, but it just doesn't. The, the script, I think, the script is just kind of letting it down. And my 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 least sort of favorite part of it is not only that exposition scene, but in the opening scene, there's some really bad dialogue between the lead actress and that gossip columnist guy or whoever who gets killed. There, there's a sequence in there. Did you did you? Um, it was. Um, what, I don't know if you, you, you caught this, or, or I don't know if this makes sense. You tell me if this if I'm reading this wrong, please. She She's talking to this gossip columnist guy, saying, you, you shouldn't have written that about me. My lawyers are looking at that right now. Well, I just wrote whatever, da-da-da. And she leans in and says, you really think you can destroy me? And the reporter looks at her and says, is that a threat? And I heard that and thought, do you really think you can destroy me? Is that a threat? No, no, that's not a threat. <laughs> Am I right? It, because the way he says it, you know, she does because she doesn't lean in and go, 
you know, if you keep doing that. Because um, like a minute later, she's yelling, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. There's the threat. It's almost like the it's almost like um like like the line you think you can destroy me was at the bottom of a page and they got the next two pages reversed. You know, and, and maybe like 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 the next page ended with her saying, I'm gonna kill you. Is that a threat? But they got they mixed mixed them up somehow. And so so he he's been reading the line wrong. Because that doesn't make sense. That that's not a threat, is it? Am I right? Am I crazy? No, I don't think you're crazy. I didn't I didn't really catch that though. I think because what I was focused on was he was like, he was talking about the next column he was going to write as he was getting his car. And he was like talking about how Veronica Everly is throwing her weight around. I'm like, are you calling her fat? Are you <laughs> seriously this? You're, you're going for a fat insult. I, I, I no longer care about your death, sir. You deserve yes, it. Yes, yes, yes. It's, it's just, it's a really weird overdone. It, it's almost like, um, and maybe if it was written in that order and my, theory about the i mean it could be think, think about it you know like you 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 know we've got the the new auto man script is here you know we need 10 12 copies they hand it to an intern they take it to a copier and, and this was 83 84 you know so copiers weren't as you know as sophisticated as they are now or you know they were still i don't know gigantic wooden contraptions that uh, you had to put the letters down yourself i don't know but but it was it was very early sort of copier so you i can imagine like an intern going starting to make copies and something goes wrong and accidentally like two pages get mixed or something but then there's the way like the that scene just goes from her being like um, I'm not going to let you destroy me. Okay, yes. All right, whatever. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to get you. And as whoa, hey, calm down. Don't there are people around. Don't yell that. It just seems it seems like a weird way to behave. In fact, that whole scene seems weird. And then there's a scene uh, after he, that guy gets shot. We meet his secretary, who is sitting. Oh in my the, gosh. Oh, do, do you want to? What did you think of her? Because I, because okay, he this guy is kind of a, a dick, and then his secretary is sitting there, and she's just like, they, because she implicates Veronica in the, this murder, and they're like the actress, and she's like, well, some people might debate calling her that, and I'm like, oh, so you're a bitch too? Okay, yes. yeah, yeah, I it's... can see what the hiring practice is there. <laughs> and it's it's weird too because the actress, I'm sure she's wonderful. But she has a few line deliveries, especially that line I wrote down. Her line is um, more or less like actress. Most people would quibble with that description. But she kind of yeah. says it like most people would quibble with that description. And she kind of like puts in a pause in between. It, it, it's, a, it's, it's really weirdly delivered, oddly delivered, strangely delivered. And then she has another line as she's leaving that she delivers the same way. And I sat there watching going, wow, this is this is a mix of some bad writing <laughs> alongside of some really iffy choices by the actors here. Now, luckily, once Auto Man shows up and he sees Hunky and he's wooing the actress, you know, things things don't pick up. You know, th- th- I guess I guess the tricky thing with one of the, the, this episode is that even like in the previous episode, at least Auto Man had the little romance with Laura Brand again, and he has the scene where he's, I'm, you know, I'm just playing, man, or whatever it is. He's when he's wailing away on the guitar. This one, Auto Man doesn't quite save it for me. I wish he did because I, I like him. I like Auto Man very much, but um, there's, I, I think there's just something about um, the the concept being that, and it seems like it's going to be more to it. 
like suddenly he's acting in this film and it never quite becomes anything and it's it's never like is he a good actor isn't he i don't know he's a computer guy it's it's just i totally think he was good act he was a good actor for that quality of film yes whatever that set was yeah that was just judging from that the actors that they had that was he was supposed to have the love scene with or whatever the the producer's mistress there yeah he i mean he was on par with with that lady yes because i I don't know if she was supposed to be (laughs) a little not great or if that's just because she wasn't too bad some other scenes but like when she was supposed to be acting in that you know movie in a movie there she was not not great (laughs) yeah it's yeah yeah it's and it's weird because all i can think of when you see that set and that set looks like something like from um it's, it looks like a set, for, I don't know, from like a King family Thanksgiving special or something like that. Some sort of weird special where it's like the main set. You know, like one family member would sing on this corner, then another family member would be here, then they'd be up front, then they'd be... That's the way, that's the way... Let's look at, it looks like a giant variety show set. And they make the point of saying over and over again, it's a $20 million movie. In 1984, $20 million was... A, a lot of money. It's still a lot of money now. Now, obviously, I certainly don't have twenty million dollars. But but twenty million dollars was a pretty hefty budget in uh, circa nineteen eighty four. And to just see this kind of weird, like um, third rate Shakespearean set or whatever the hell it is, is just like you. You almost I almost spend more time thinking what on earth is this movie about than actually pay attention to what the episode's about. I don't. I couldn't even tell you because I I looked at that set and thought, wow, that looks like the window dressing for a department store in <laughs> circa 1984. Yes. Not something on a 20 million dollar movie set. I'm guessing they spent the rest of the money on craft services because I can't see the money clearly didn't go into the acting <laughs> and no. it didn't go into the set. Yeah. And probably didn't go into the script either. I have no idea. Yeah, I've, I've actually I I have the scene up here right now and I'm looking at the set and I'm like, huh. Yeah, okay. Huh, I don't... Um, who would watch this movie? Who's watching this movie? I guess if it's like a a drug who, finance movie. Yeah, who, cares? who invested in this movie is when I know. Cause they're, they're talking about their investors. And I'm like, who, how did you... How drunk did you get them? Yeah. <laughs> in yes. order to convince them that this was a good idea. Here's, here's a picture of our set. Oh, come now. Are you be for, for real? It'll look better on screen. It's, it's going to look better on screen. Trust me. And yeah, I'm just I'm just looking at it here now, and um, yeah, lots of statues and sort of yeah, it pillars and fake bushes and lots of white, like not carpet, but like um, you know, like red carpet, but like white carpet, kind of all over the place and fake lawn. I don't even, I don't even, I. I guess at the end of the day, the problem is that I'm more interested in knowing what the hell is this $20, $20 million, maybe it's a $20 movie, $20 million. dollars <laughs> more accurate. Uh, yeah. I don't know. So, um, so let's, so let's, um, let's, let's see, maybe if, if we hop into more individual moments in the episode, we'll, we'll, we can come up with stuff that we liked a little more. You think you can destroy me? Is that a threat? No, even if you say it like that, that's not the way she said it. Because she said it like, you think you can destroy me? Is that a threat? But even if you say it like, you think you can destroy... Almost like, um, 
I sound like the penguin in Batman Returns. You don't really think you'll win, do you? And it's sort of like, you think you can destroy me? Is that a threat? No, I think I'm saying, I think, I feel like you're threatening me. Oh, okay, I'm sorry, I misunderstood. Yeah. I misunderstood. Yeah, it's clearly like, you think you can destroy me? Is that a threat? No, it was a question. <laughs> it was I'm a serious. It's not so even I'm a asking, I'm asking. It's a yes I'm or asking. no, dude. <laughs> I'm asking, are you are you asking me? Yes, yes, I am asking you, and yeah. Um, so so what what else do you have about this one? I'm gonna scan my notes to see if I can come up with some. The Silver Dawn, that's the name of the movie they're making, I believe, or the Silver Drawers. I my handwriting is atrocious. <laughs> I think it's the Silver Dawn, but yes. it's probably tarnished silver at this point. <laughs> it's that cheap cheap silver that oh, turns yeah. your finger green. Oh yes. Well, let's, let's let's just spare a moment to talk about Walter for just a second, just of course, because yes. um, he spins the whole thing. First of all, he tells Auto Man when he finds out that Veronica Everly's in the building, and he loves Veronica Everly. He's seen all of her movies, and he's a big fan, and he wants to get an autograph. And Walter's like, no. Then he tells Walter yes. he can't go with him, and it's like you're being such a buzzkill. Just let yes. him go get an autograph. Yeah. And yeah. then later. You know, he well, he shows up to the movie set, and Auto Man, who had been invited by Veronica Everly because yeah. he totally went anyway to <laughs> see her, and he's in the movie, and uh, Walter like begrudgingly allows him to participate in the movie. He's like, as long as the case comes first, and I'm like, Walter spends a lot of his time sounding like the exhausted mother of a toddler slash teenager. <laughs> yes. Yes, he does. Poor Auto Man is a handful. Yes, yeah, he really, he really is. And of course, uh, uh, um, Walter is out there. What um, uh, he has a sequence where he um, is is surveilling Ed Lauder's place, and some guys, a guy comes out. That, and the funny thing, I love. I don't know who this actor is, but the head henchman that Ed Lauder has, the guy with the mustache, oh, you know him Oscar. from a thousand. He's um, Tim. It's played by Tim Rosovich. Okay, you know you know this guy, folks. Yeah. The moment you see this guy, you know this guy, and he plays sort of the heavy in this, who gets in a real hassle with a Walter out in the street. And it's, I, I wonder too, as I'm watching this, because I reached, I started rewatching Columbo lately, and I always think like, how come it is that in shows like this, the people that have the really beautiful, huge houses are always jerks? Why why is there never a really nice person? I mean, the closest I can think of with like Columbus, maybe like Johnny Cash, but then he kills someone, you know. So, so it's like there's, there's, how come you never like look at that beautiful house? You know who lives there? The nicest person in the world. You go right up there, they're gonna give you cookies. They're really sweet, but it's never that. It's always drug dealers and 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 evil lawyers and and police commissioners who have gone bad and stuff like that. I... These people give their money away. So they okay. can't afford those houses. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's true, and that's that's why, like in Colombo, you never see Colombo's house because I, I I'd like to think actually Colombo Colombo might actually have a decent place. In in my heart, I like to th not well, not a not a huge mansion, but but. Considering he talks about having a wife, his wife, mm -hmm. I would think that he had he worked to have a nice little house for his yes. wife. Yeah, I would think I think he's probably got a nice little nice little spot somewhere somewhere in L.A. Just nice nice home. For him and her, and and um, and uh, unless, of course, obviously, you know, all the times he brings her up, he's lying, 
and then he probably just has a small apartment and he just sits in front of the TV eating baked beans out of a can. I'd like to not think that though about Columbo. I'd like to think that he um he actually has a nice place. But of course Columbo doesn't have anything to do with Auto Man and we know where Walter lives. Walter has a nice enough apartment in kind of the um Laverne and Shirley area of town. And <laughs> Um, but oh, you know, I, I realize what my favorite part of this episode is, and that is when um, they bring in the reporter, the gossip columnist, files in, and Walter has Auto Man um, uh, examine them. And Roxanne's like, "Oh, come on, it's, what are you doing? You're having him look at him? Well, no one can do it faster. Well, Auto Man, what did you find out? Find out? Well, Walter, I discovered that Mister Da 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 Da." maybe having an affair with the and he starts going through all the gossip in the files um, not realizing that that's not what they want but it's very funny and it's very he so earnestly says it in his auto man style that that's actually probably my favorite moment of the episode that was a good moment i like that there wasn't a whole lot of real humor in this episode too i don't no, think no, i mean aside from like the end the end cuz the end was funny especially mm-hmm. With the cursor destroying everything, but like like that moment where he's bringing up the gossip columnist and then who's who's not a natural blonde? There really wasn't a whole lot of that in this episode. No, no there isn't. There's there's a lot that goes on. Like I said, it, I I think like there's a, there's a lot that goes on, but it's never as involving as it should be, and it doesn't sort of have like like the episode like with the um uh with Richard Lynch and all the 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 illegal immigrants and everything like that. Like right at the point in that episode when i was starting to lose interest suddenly the bicycle gang shows up the, the motorcycle the bicycle gang the bicycle gang yes. we're here you know they got the cards in their spokes here we I come can, i can see them just chinging their little bells ding 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 ding, 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 ding. <laughs> watch it watch it we're coming for mr drago um but uh but but like right at the moment in that episode when i started thinking like, eh, suddenly the motorcycle gang shows up and it kind of goes off on a nice tangent and kept the episode moving. This one kind of gets, kind of just goes in and kind of gets deeper into what it's doing and deeper into what it's doing. And the deeper you get, the less I cared. And the more I got confused about the ladies, like I said, that, that, <laughs> that auto man was on set with. And there are gangsters and some of them are with Jack in a warehouse here. And there are other gangsters over here that have drugs. And s- somewhere in there, I was just like, I, f- you, you, you have to like, if, if you love it, then you want to, you know, go back and just take all the notes and make sure you're getting it all right. But if you're just barely getting through it, you're like, okay, why are they here? Who cares? And you just keep on watching. You want to see, like, Auto Man make out with somebody or someone, you know, something fun like that. But um, I guess, do, do you have anything else on this one? I'm going to do one one scan, one last scan. Well, yeah, I have two things. Uh, we should okay. mention Jack and the Captain because they yes. did, first of all, Jack is the unsung hero of this show. He's mm-hmm. just, he's fabulous. The scene where he first, where uh, Automan meets up with Veronica Everly for the first time, it's actually in Jack's office and Roxana's there. And Jack realizes that there's a bit of a, a seduction happening between the two of them. And he is incredibly amused by this. And he excuses himself and yes. the smile he has on his face. Yes. I just, I want to frame it. It's beautiful. Yes. Yes. And then when later, cause what she, Veronica, I makes some comment about auto man's collar 
um, and he, she's like, does that collar need recharging? And he's like, no, but I do. And the eye roll that Roxanne does, <laughs> yes. I never loved that character more than yes. I have that moment. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. But then later we have Jack. He decides that he gets a tip that he's going to go meet somebody. Oh, and yeah. Poor Jack does not have a great track record of meeting people in locations no, after dark. No, no, Because no. this time his car gets smashed by a truck, mm. I think. And it and be, it's only because he's driving an 80s land yacht that he doesn't die because he can jump in the back seat. And, like, the yes. car, right into the car is, like, completely crushed. Back seat is fine. Mm. <laughs> and it turns out it's the bad guy, so they kidnap him. And it's like, oh, no, Jack is in peril. And he escapes once but gets beaten up mm-hmm. and then when they finally come to rescue him he and the captain are the ones that go after the home of uh, the heroin dealers well the captain gets yes. shot yes but still keeps going yeah. yeah he keeps gets winged in the arm and he's they're like you, he's like you need attention and the captain's like nah i'm fine and i'm like in what world you're bleeding <laughs> all over your suit yes. and then so they so here is a guy who's who's been beaten up another guy who's been shot they are going by themselves after heroin dealers and they're both you know a little bit older and the captain ends up getting attacked by the bad guys yeah, jack gets the around. drop yeah, on him yeah. throws him down a friggin staircase they, they yeah. fight off a staircase but they ended up you know hooray they've captured him and jack is like i'm getting too old for this and the captain's like oh that's funny <laughs> yes, that was a good moment. Yeah. And that was that. I really, really liked the moments with Jack, and I really liked Jack and the captain working together. Working together, yeah, yeah. It, it was really it was a really nice change. But the thing is, is that that was so tonally different from everything happening yes. on the movie studio. So it's like serious cop show here, '80s romp comedy yes. over here. It was yes. just so weird. But it's, I just wanted to make sure that Jack and the captain got their due because they yes, too you. caught bad guys while injured and probably yes. over forty. There, there, this episode has several fights that kind of take place on steps, and in one of them, Walter has a fire extinguisher thrown at his head, um, and uh, which looks like it hurts, knocks the gun out of his hand, um, and uh, but but my my. I, so so um so Jack is at the top of the steps. The two heroin guys are running up the steps towards him. Jack steps out of the doorway, kicks one guy off of the staircase, and he goes flying through the air and hits the ground. But the other guy, if you watch him, there's a long shot of the guy flying off the staircase. You see Jack up in the left-hand corner on the steps. But the guy who's going up the steps towards Jack is so intent upon looking at the captain that he doesn't seem to see that his... You know, co-worker, as it were, just got kicked off the steps. When Jack moves down towards him, he's completely surprised that there's someone there and something is happening. It's like, I don't know if you pulled that on. I'm like, when stuntmen really try to give it their all. when It's like when stuntmen try to act distracted, then we all get confused. And that that that's kind of what happened right there. It's just like he's 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 doing that thing where I'm not looking your way. I'm not looking your what? There's a guy right there. And so it ends up looking a little. It, it, what actually kind of looks like is maybe there was like an insert that they didn't have time to shoot. Of like of like like maybe like when the guy flies through the air and go, goes to hit the ground, maybe it was supposed to cut to the other guy. 
Like, looking straight ahead, going up the steps, and stopping when he saw Jack, and Jack attacks him. But instead they do it in just one big master, where the guy really is looking the other way. In a re- I mean, you just heard, like, that didn't make you turn around, you know? And I don't know, you know, the old guy who got shot in the arm is of more interest to you than what's going on at the top of the steps. But that was um, that was just the moment I noticed the second time I watched it. I thought, that guy's really trying to be distracted. And I guess I guess he gets. I guess he does his thing. It's fine, Jack. Jack, you know they saved the day. Uh, so what was the what was the last thing you you had? Okay, the one last little thing that I have, and I don't know if you noticed this. Maybe it's just me. But so normally when we see Auto Man, he is like completely buttoned up to the neck because he is auto suit underneath the clothes that uh, Cursor makes for him. And he at one point goes undercover as like a telephone repair man so he can sit and do surveillance outside of Ed Lautner's house and he has Cursor make him a truck with a listening device in it so he can listen in on what's going on in that house and he's completely buttoned up with his little telephone worker's uniform when he gets to the captain's office a little bit later uh, Roxanne and and Walter and, and the captain are in there and he comes in, and first the captain somehow does not recognize him as yes. Agent Man. Yes. <laughs> and he's like, I, I don't, my telephone's not broken. It's not in this. It's not in this office. It's somewhere else. And he's like, it's me. It's Agent Man. And he's like, oh, <laughs> like, oh my gosh, maybe he needs glasses. Maybe this. Oh. We're getting close to retirement. Maybe that's how he gets shot. Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. But when he's in the office, Auto Man's collar is unbuttoned his shirt's unbuttoned a little bit you actually see chest hair and it's very startling to me because i'm so used to seeing him completely buttoned up because he's not supposed to so i'm thinking that was probably an oopsie like they didn't like he probably unbuttoned his button you know and didn't think to yes to do it but in my heart what i want it to be is that, that auto man said cursor I need a Merkin. <laughs> Please, fast. <laughs> I, I need to show some manliness while I go yeah. to the office and talk about what I've heard. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. I like that idea. Rather than like um, it going on air and like the, someone in the effects crew going, oh, we forgot to put the blue thing around him. Someone's going, no, no, no. That was a request. That was a cut scene. Yes, yes. No, I like that idea very much. We were robbed of a Merkin sing. Merkin request. Damn, a Merkin request. A Merkin request. Are you threatening me? Are you threatening me? No, it was just a Merkin request. Oh, okay. If you could have that done soon, that would be great. So, um. Uh, I guess I guess that's it for this one. I think um, I oh, think uh, oh, well, oh, do you have... I do have like two little background things that I think will help you yeah. because oh. you said you couldn't tell the blonde girls the the difference between the blonde girls. Um, one of them's Michelle Phillips. Oh, of course. You know, mamas and the papas. I spent the whole time sitting there thinking I know who she is. Oh my gosh, the the phone scene is here. There he is with his chest hair. Yeah. Oh see? my gosh, West West Coast Telephone. <laughs> yeah, why? That's weird. 
Yeah, even Roxanne's kind of looking at him like, yeah, what's mm-hmm. all the, mm-hmm, nice. Look See? at him go. Wow. So, yeah, so that was Michelle Phillips. And then who she was fighting with, the, the murder victim at the beginning, is Peter Marshall, who hosted Hollywood yes, Squares for like yes. 20 years. Yes, yes. Maybe he did get his script mess, messed up. I don't know. Maybe maybe he had Paul Lind write his lines or something. I don't know. He was, but he was waiting for Rosemary to have a witty comeback. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um. So, uh, so I guess I guess that's I guess that's murder. Take one. No, murder. Take one. Tick one. Murder. Tick one. Um, that's uh, episode ten, right? Episode ten of um, of Auto Man. Um, did you have anything else on this one? Because I think I'm I'm all out. No, I'm good. I'm I'm, I'm I promise. I'm absolutely done. Okay. So where can we find you online? You can find me at my blog, kikiwritesabout.com. There you will find the home of my podcast, Bookum Dano, an old Hawaii Five-O podcast. Um, and if you want to know my thoughts about Merkins and allow me <laughs> to fulfill your Merkin requests in real time, you can follow me on Twitter at kikiwrites. Is that a threat? No, it's a Merkin request. It's a Merkin request. Um, so, so that was murder. Take one. No, murder, murder, take one. Um, tech one. Murder, take one. And what's with all those dancers? Did you notice that on the, on the set? There's when, when, um, when, when Auto Man shows up and is trying to delay the, the shoot, there are like a bunch of like aerobic style dancers on the set. Did you notice that? I did. That's the chorus I, line that never happened, I guess. Yes, I guess this is going to be a hell of a movie if it ever comes out. Probably not now. So this was murder, take one. And, um, and yeah, thanks everyone for listening. And we are going to go on now. We're going to do a little bit on the air and then we're going to wrap up a little bit of Nero Wolf, but let me play a little bit of the on the air theme right now. And I know what you're thinking. Is that a threat? No, it's next. The on the air theme. Here it is. Listen. the air episode five written by mark frost directed by leslie linka gladder aired july 4th 1992 the third and final episode that aired on the network july 4th seriously <laughs> yeah really yeah they, they you, the network obviously wanted the show dead <laughs> so yeah okay uh, so in this one we are uh, starting off with uh, we're prepping the show and we are going to have on the air an actress named Sylvia Hudson and Bud Waller and McGarnacle are talking about her as a um, a huge like like not a huge set in particular but rather yeah a rather largest set which is just basically a set of doorways with like a rolling carpet that comes out uh, from the from the doorways which is where Sylvia is going to enter let me let me play you this clip it's right over here Mr. Bud how's it coming along but we're still ironing out a few kinks. I suggest you flatten them. 
Sylvia Hudson is the biggest star yet to appear on the Lester Guy show. But this doorway has got to work exactly like the one she used to use in her own show. Of course she was working with a different network and a much roomier budget. Look at it this way, McGonagall. After she was washed up in pictures, Sylvia Hudson became the most important female star in the pioneer days of television. Now, if she goes over tonight and she enjoys the experience, this could set a trend. We may very well be faced with a virtual stampede of extraordinarily talented performers trampling all over each other for a guest shot on this show, like lemmings to the sea. Wouldn't that be peach? Yes, it would. Oh, God. The logistics. I mean, we have to work by the time. Easy there, McGonagall. Easy. The only wild card in this is how Betty Hudson, the woman without a brain, will react to having her famous and more talented older sister on her turf. We have to be very careful with Betty McGonagall. She's skittish. Mm. Betty and Sylvia Hudson are like oil and water. You could make a salad dressing out of it. You'd have to throw out the lettuce. Uh, they end their conversation in front of a um, sort of a, a, a wall, a wall set, which goes up to about like shoulder height. And as they're talking, a little puppet guy named Mr. Peanuts kind of pokes his head out and throws a um, fake flower pot at Mr. Budwaller's head. And that's Mr. Peanuts' beloved um, puppet, uh, beloved by hundreds of thousands of children of people of every, everyone around the world and the man who controls him is a guy named Wally Walter it's very clear that um, Bud Waller isn't so thrilled about having Mr. Peanuts on the air with Sylvia on there but he but he has to and then we cut at that point to Ruth and a crying Betty in uh, Betty's dressing room crying about the fact that she has her sister who as you can hear is a very nice coming out of the program <laughs> Oh, come on, Betty. It can't be as bad as all that. You never met her before. Well, sisters are supposed to be kind and caring towards each other. They are? My older sister was always kind and caring towards me. Was her name Sylvia? I know. Well, what did she ever do to you that was so awful? When I was little and they came around the neighborhood for donations to the war effort, she tried to give me away. Oh, but you haven't seen your sister Sylvia in so long. Maybe she's changed. For my last birthday, she she sent me an autographed picture of herself and she signed it. You were adopted, love Sylvia. And it didn't even look like her. I'm sure Mr. Zablocknik wouldn't have asked her to come on the show if he thought that she'd be mean to you. Well, she's mean to everybody. I went to visit her in Hollywood, my mom, my dad, and me. She was making a movie, and when Gary Cooper came up, she introduced us as the Spocket family from Pittsburgh. Oh, Betty. Betty, darling, how are you today? How do I look? Fine, thank you, Ruth. Betty. Betty, 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 do you know what today is? Monday. We learned that Lester was in a movie with Sylvia when she was a big star. Presumably this was in the first half of the 40s, probably during World War II. And he was in a film with her called White Cliffs of Dover. It doesn't sound like he did too much. He, you know, pretended to play accordion with a monkey during a scene. And he thinks he's much more important in Sylvia's life than... um. He actually is, but she vaguely remembers him, but uh, whatever. Uh, so uh, we're getting close to time for the episode to go on, and um, uh, uh, Mr. Gotchik, Gotchik uh, calls, with Ruth's help, calls um, everyone together to meet Mr. Peanuts. Gather around, everyone! 
They want you to meet our gods. Wally Walters and his little friend, Mr. Pownow. We want you to meet our guests, Wally Walters and his little friend, Mr. Phoenix. Oh. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, I, I just want to say what a great thrill it is. Ladies and gentlemen, our number one guest star this week, Miss Sylvia Hudson. <laughs> Sylvie's pretty gross, uh, pretty full of herself, and she has that that thing where um, I forget when they the door opens, the music starts, the carpet rolls, and then the lights go on. But she says the way it always works, it's lights, music, door, carpet, and she gets very angry, and she's um, she's unpleasant, uh, and um, has all her little rules and everything. And she got a cute little dog, who that dog on set the snaps tries to flirt with using signs and stuff very uh, almost like green acresy when uh, arnold and and uh, cynthia the basset hound basket hound fell in love and nicole of course uh, nicole thorne our, our head of comedy what what she's doing there with sylvia who doesn't seem like she has a, a funny bone in her body um i'm not sure but yeah of course uh, uh nicole is very um sycophantic towards sylvia and is actually a little jealous when she sees uh, sylvia and lester kind of having a discussion about their love scene going to happen together and of course sylvia makes it clear that she doesn't work with puppets and she's unpleasant to um uh wally walter and to mr peanuts which a lot of people aren't thrilled with and i'll just take it up to the point and i'll talk more about it, but i'll take it up to the point when the show begins uh the it doesn't begin with lester dancing it begins with uh what is it lights music doors carpet and then a bit of mishap and i'll just stop right there i don't have anything to play like a blast of music or anything i just pause for a second to make it seem like i you know went away and came back but i didn't i'm back here and this this episode so much so to me is so sitcom i mean the basic premise is that classic sitcom thing of the 
sort of the relative or the rival who shows up. I mean, I think this happened on Petticoat Junction like eight times. Like someone showed up. And so, you remember her? You grew up with Kate? Oh, yes, I went to school with her. And then she shows up and she's like, I run a makeup business and I'm worth millions, Kate. You know, I, Well, maybe it didn't happen eight times. But um, plenty of people left Hooterville in Petticoat Junction and then came back later on having done quite well and either tried to fix Kate or take Kate away and stuff like that um but it's that classic sort of you know sibling rival sibling rival um shows up and um uh is just a jerk to one of our lead characters and uh Betty Betty luckily actually gets off uh, her sister is, is rude to her in one scene when they first meet um, where Sylvia says something like, but, and I love when Sylvia says, where's my sister? I'm here, Miss Hudson. Oh, Sylvia. And and Sylvia says, let me take a good look at you. She takes a long look at Betty and then turns and yells, makeup, which makes Betty cry. Everything makes Betty cry uh, about her sister makes Betty cry. Although when Lester shows him in her dressing room in that scene I played for you, she goes right away. She loses the tears. And, um, but it's yeah, because Sylvia's just mean to everybody. She's mean to Mister Gotchick there. She yells at everybody in the beginning. She's mean to her sister. She's very mean to Wally Walters and Mister Peanuts. Uh, she's just mean to everyone. But but Lester and Nicole, I guess. And and she she yeah she's very much the sort of um, yeah that sort of prima donna type star who at one time you know may have warranted some of the awful behavior she's if she was that popular but at this point if she's trying to sort of like you heard make make a bit of a comeback or something she just seems like a jackass and she's not nice to mr peanuts which um nobody likes and which leads to the ending uh, which we'll talk about in a moment but more so than than any of those possibly i think well maybe the second episode of the restaurant but this is um this is a is this is a sitcom episode which takes some twists and turns like i said um Betty and Sylvia never have it out. You know, there's only the one moment where, where Sylvia's mean to Betty, but from that point on, Betty's just kind of doing her thing and sort of wins in the end by being just kind of her sweet self. Uh, to the point in this episode, where it's pre, it pre, like to say, like the first one, where she won the hearts of the audience, and you do see audience members watching. And very, there's a guy like a like a, in, in like a body shop or a repair shop. There are two dogs watching. There's a really large lady and a really thin guy. There's a lady watching by herself. There's another one who's cooking. Who looks like she put she put like a cat in a pot. Uh, they all love her, and and the the mix of Betty and Mr. Peanuts in the end really kind of saves the day. I, I think uh, personally, the the first time I watched it, I was I think this is really a show, and I've said this before, and I'll say this up until the end of the seventh episode. This is a show where you need to watch the episodes twice, because in in this episode, not not as much so in the first episode, which will always be the sort of gold standard for what the hell is happening. This um, this has a wonderful verve to it it's never it's never ever slow it keeps kicking along and doing its thing and doing its thing and it's really quite good in 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 the way it does it it's directed well it's got a nice movement it's got all those weird sound effects there's like every time someone hops over the rolled out carpet you hear you know and and betty keeps throwing away kleenexes and there's or t- uh, tissues and like we 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 you know you heard you know the noises and and there's this yeah this wonderful heightened craziness to all of it that um they've really got down 
and uh, it's it's really fun. Is it is it weird, like a David Lynch weird? I don't think so. In fact, it seems really straightforward. It seems like a, a slightly maybe exaggerated than something else like this m- might be, but that's the way that's that's going to go. I and 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 there's 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 a little mix. I mean, there are a lot of great insults in here. Um, uh, Bud Waller has a great one to Wally Walters and Mr. Peanuts and a little later Sylvia has another one there's some very elaborate insults and uh, it's it's really a fun episode the second time the first time I watched it like I said when I got near the end I found myself kind of half not paying attention and so there's a sequence where like Sylvia falls in a, in a well on the set and somehow even though I was watching it closely I couldn't figure out um, how she, what, what happened there, and I realized I was missing things, and and so uh, the second time I paid a little more attention. It really grabbed me. In fact, when you get to the ending and Sylvia goes on her tirade against Mr. Peanuts, I actually and and everyone tries to console Mr. Peanuts, and Mr. Peanuts is crying. I actually was crying. Now I don't know if that's just you know this is the middle of two, 2020. I think probably most of us sat for a minute <laughs> and just letting ourselves go would probably cry for a minute or two. And but this is um, yeah I did I really found myself kind of like really touched by it. In fact, I felt the same way that Mr. Budwaller does at the end, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Um. Uh, let's see what what else is in this episode. I love, and I don't know the way doors would open on a set like this, but but it's basically these big fake doors, and they swing outwards, and Sylvia steps through them, and the carpet rolls out. There's a great bit where the carpet accidentally rolls up and rolls up her dog in it. But she steps out the doors. And what happens when she does it live is Shorty is, is he's got like a lever, like a, like a, a crank, uh, 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 like, a, like a, a series of like gears and intertwined gears and pulleys and ropes and everything like that. He's turning this crank like, yeah, I don't know, he's driving forward a, a boat or I don't know what the hell he's doing. You know what I mean. And he, he's got his hands on, 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 on the handle and he's pushing it forward and creak, 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 creak around and the doors are opening. And I just I just love the concept that you see that where he's standing and all these gears and wheels and ropes and you see the doors open and you kind of think, what's in between that? Does it really take this enormous man using all of his strength to open those two little doors? And does it really take all of his strength to keep those two little doors open? Which is fun. And um, it's interesting because she gets, um, Sylvia gets slapped with the doors twice. Once at the end of the episode, as you'd expect, when they're all sick of Sylvia and um, uh, and uh, Bud Waller, you know, uh, looks down at Short and gives him that you know, across the throat sign and he lets go of the, the lever crank thing and, and the doors hit Sylvia. But then once at the beginning, because uh, Nicole gets her dress caught in the gears and uh, Shorty says, I shouldn't let go. She says, let go, you're ruining my skirt. He lets go, and it's the, he lets go of it and the doors smack Sylvia and there's just a great series of moments where she like the doors keep hitting her and it's like she keeps like part of her body's hanging out the door, part of it isn't, she falls down, she's in bad shape and then she just kind of much like Lester's dazed uh, behavior in quite a few episodes after he gets hit, she has that same thing going on until she gets hit again. Then she comes back and yeah, there's she's Sylvia's really nasty and and it works well in this. And there are a lot of there there again there 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 are some and there's there are some weird moments. I mean, there's supposed to be seen at a well 
which I guess was originally supposed to have Mr. Peanuts in it, but Sylvia refused to work with the puppet. So it's just rewritten as a straight-up love scene between Lester and Sylvia. But Sylvia's going nutty and falls in the well. And Lester starts singing. And then in quick succession, Mr. Peanuts, with a wig on as, I would, say, I would guess, Ms. Peanuts, begins to woo Lester with the lines. Then Betty is pushed out to say the lines. And then that guy who hasn't been in it much, whose name, I'll be honest, I can't remember. I want to say Bert? He comes out dressed as a woman, trying to do the lines, and it all becomes very confusing. It ends up with Lester kind of um, snogging uh, <laughs> Mr. Peanuts or or Ms. Peanuts, and everyone's the America's confused, and yeah, um, it's there's there's a lot of fun stuff going on in here, um, but but again, after watching, there is something weird about the show where it doesn't. I, I've said this before, like when you watch Twin Peaks very early on, there is a feeling of subverting the sort of soap opera style that they're using. Uh, and one of the things after Laura's Killers revealed like a third of the way, a quarter of the way into season two is you kind of lose that oddness and it just becomes a straight up soap opera for a while with occasional weird moments but then at the end it picks it up again and obviously Twin Peaks Firewalk with me in the third season takes it to another level but but with this I'm watching this like the first five episodes and like I said there are weird moments and there are strange moments very well I guess those are similar kind of moments but but at the same time you don't it's it's so almost straightforward that you I sit there thinking okay what am I missing what what am I am I missing something here? There's, uh, hmm. Should am I? Did that mean something? What the, the hurry up twins? What are they about? Blinky and and Winky, you know, doing their thing. What's that about? You know, um, that moment where Betty, Mister Peanuts, wants to die, and everyone is coming out to console him, and um, Sylvia is trying to do her thing at the door, but nobody cares because they're on Mister Peanuts, and Betty walks up to the camera and says, "Hey, let's let's cheer Mister Peanuts up. Let's sing the Mister Peanuts song," and there's a great moment. Uh, well, it's, it's this moment. What have I got left to live for? Don't want to die! Mr. Peanuts, you can't die. Mr. Peanuts, what about the hundreds and thousands of little boys and girls who watch your show every morning? Yes, well, what about them, Mr. Peanuts? What about all the joy and the happiness you bring them? I have an idea. I'm going to show you just how much you mean to all the little boys and girls out there, okay? Okay. Boys and girls, no matter how old you are, our Mr. Peanuts is in trouble. I know you all love Mr. Peanuts just as much as I do. So I want you to help me now and sing the Mr. Peanuts song. We got the music for the Mr. Peanuts song, Blinky.
into that little lid trap. I am the great Sylvia Hudson. Me, me, me. The hurry up, twins. And, and you see again why Betty is is awesome because she was pushed out there without knowing any of the lines and then when she sees Mr. Peanuts is hurting she goes right up to the live camera and she says boys and girls etc and you see a couple people watching and they're enjoying the song you see a dog with glasses on you see like a chihuahua dressed in leather I'm not sure what that is about but I love it very much and the great thing is everyone joins in the Mr. Peanuts song except for Sylvia even Lester even Lester is completely um, in on it and but the great thing is is just um, one one of the things I love about it, and I think one of the things why people love Betty and they they tune in, is um, is just the um, the uh, moment where Betty steps forward and says, "Let's sing the Mr. Peanut song." You know, you heard like, do we have the Mr. Peanut song? And and while while they're looking for the Mr. Peanut song, um, Betty takes out her music box, opens it up, and that has the music for the Mr. Peanut song, and they all begin singing, and they're all having a great time. And, uh, yes, yeah, Sylvia is humiliated and, and is gone from the show, and Mr. Peanuts is the star, and everyone loves Mr. Peanuts, and everyone's having a great time. And it ends with one of my favorite moments, which is you, you see whenever it goes up to the, the, the booth, and you see Mr. Gotchick there and, and Mr. Budwaller, and Mr. Gotchick is all in for it, and he's dancing, and he's doing the, hey, nuts, it's Mr. Peanuts. And you see Mr. Budwaller gradually, his hands begin moving, and then he begins to dance along, and the final shot of the episode is in the booth looking out at everyone in the studio having a great time. And 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 Budwaller, you know, the great Miguel Ferrer, basically turning around crying, saying, you know, that's, that's great entertainment. <laughs> and if it made Mr. Budwaller cry, then you know something cool happened. I like this episode quite a bit. I think it's I think, I think it brings me a lot of joy. Um, you know, you know, maybe they oversell Sylvia's awfulness uh, a bit, but you, they they have very little time, so you have to bring her on. You have to show exactly what cliche it is, so then we can shoot it down. And maybe that's part of what the show is doing too. That it's it's it's. It's assuming that you know everything that you're seeing. All, assuming you know the characters and the this and the that that you're seeing already. So you don't have to sit there and go, now what is Sylvia's character supposed to be like? Instantly, when she shows up, you know exactly what she's going, from what Betty said about her, from the way Lester described her, to seeing her for like one minute. You know exactly what sort of person she is. And you want to see her fall on her ass, which she does, and it's funny. So, again, I, I like this episode quite a bit. I'm really enjoying uh, on the air and I'm sad that we only have two episodes left but um, as I've said many times before I'd rather have seven episodes of good to brilliant quality than you know a hundred episodes that range from oh you remember when the show was good to oh god kind of thing so I'd rather have seven really good to brilliant episodes of on the air than you know 50 where half of them are like "Ooh, that's not good or we get to that point where it's like okay the people in charge right now don't know what this show is so yeah so i'm enjoying it we only got two episodes left and obviously these are the ones that um along with two others are ones america never saw so i'm excited to see where we go next and let me let me wrap this up by two two things the guest stars Anne bloom annie bloom 
uh, is the um, uh, ANNE Bloom is Sylvia. Uh, you might know her from what I know her from, not necessarily the news. If you uh, had HBO in the 80s, and we got HBO right after my dad died. I want to say like early, mid-82. And like two of the first shows I discovered on, on cable were not necessarily news, and you can't do that on television. Two shows which I still love. Not necessarily news, if you didn't know, it was based on um, not the 9 o'clock news from... Uh, from the BBC, I think the BBC, don't, don't don't quote me on that, from the UK. I think that's where Roman Atkinson sort of got his start. And it's basically, it's basically a, it was a half an hour monthly program on HBO that was a very topical program. I mean, this is, you, you have to remember when it started in 82, Reagan was in office. And when it ended in 88, 89, Reagan had either, was either was still in office or had just left office. So this is kind of like, Lots of if if you want to see you know apart from like rap and Ronnie and stuff like that the this is your go to space for making fun of Ronald Reagan and and Margaret Thatcher very topical show it's it's not like a like a Python or a Mister Show or the Kids in the Hall at its best like where you would put you could put it on at any time and need very little explanation not necessarily the news if if you don't know your politics or your 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 um pop culture of the 80s so much of it's going to go over your head um except maybe the sniglets that was rich hall's thing that was a big thing from that show um but but if you know your pop culture and politics from the 80s it's still a very funny show so annie bloom was one of the annie ann bloom um uh was one of the stars of that and the other star in this uh playing wally walters with mr peanut and i believe he designed mr peanut per the credits is the great chuck mccann chuck mccann was in tons of stuff he acted in tons of stuff he was in the projectionist he was in i think herbie goes bananas he's in guns the great andy sedaris film which begins with a was it cynthia bramhall like half naked singing her song guns up on stage and you just want to stand up and applaud um, except your pants are you know adjusting themselves as you're watching her if you know what i mean um and you'll you'll know him when you see him he's he he used to do a thing in the late 70s early 80s they had a series of commercials i think he was in like like there were some deodorant commercials he was in where he was like on the other side of the mirror. Hey guy. And there was uh, commercials where he would play Hardy, Laurel and Hardy where they were selling windshield wipers and they were driving and, Oh, Ollie, I can't see Stanley. Would you please, we have to get to the airport, you know, that kind of thing. And, he did a ton of stuff throughout the years and you'd be surprised at how much stuff he did. Your best, if if you want to find out more about him, I think there's probably a lot of places you can go. He probably wrote an autobiography, but I would actually recommend. And then I'll wrap this this up. Cool McCool. Uh, cool McCool was a cartoon from '67, uh, I think. Uh, Ink and Paint, BCI Eclipse, I believe. Uh, they, they went out of business. Oh, geez, this is 2020, like in 2012 or 2013. But in the second half of the 2000s, the first decade, and early this decade the teens the second decade of this century um bci clips and and and, and ink and paint la- released a ton of box sets of cartoons live action kids shows things like that they did a couple big sets of master of the universe they did she-ra uh the great groovy ghoulie set the three disc set one of my all-time favorite sets 
which I match up now with Sabrina, Teenage Witch, and I do Sabrina the Groovy Ghoulies. That's there, and stuff like the live-action Ghostbusters, the filmation animated Ghostbusters. They're that, they, they did that great Dungeons & Dragons animated series set that's shaped like and like packaged like the basic red box, the Dungeons & Dragons 80s box. All kinds of great shows. The filmation live-action series. Oh, boy, they put out a lot of great... Isis, they did the Isis set. So many great sets. And one of the sets they released, I think around 2007, I think around Casino Royale time, was Kuma Cool, which was a Get Smart-esque, um, co-created by Bob Kane, the man who co-created um, Batman. Uh, it, was a, it was a Get Smart-esque spy parody with Kuma Cool, who was kind of not a very good secret agent but used to save the day, who had kind of like a bevy of Batman 66-style villains they would fight. And there were three segments in each episode. First and third segment were Cool McCool segments, like eight minutes each or, or so. And then the middle segment was his dad, Harry McCool, back in the 20s, like Keystone Cop slapstick kind of thing. Very entertaining shows. Uh, I, I liked them quite a bit. I'll be honest, the first, when I, I bought that set probably in 2010 or 11, and I watched the first two or three episodes and just sat there almost stone-faced. But now, for, for some reason, something clicked with me, and I absolutely adore the show. I probably watched all 20 episodes through... That set through probably at least three times. I really get a kick out of it. I think it's quite funny. I think the slapstick sequences with with Cool's uh, dad are really great. And Chuck McCann does almost all of the uh, male voices. Bob McFadden does the Cools and maybe one or two others. But Chuck McCann does most of the voices, all the other male voices. And the long and the short of it is that on that box set, I don't know how much it's going to cost you now, on that set... Episodes 1 and 8 have commentaries hosted by Wally Wingert, voiceover guy, who's also on the Groovy Ghoulies, who's also on the Groovy Ghoulies set and on the, on the Dungeons and Dragons set. And Wally's a very knowledgeable, intelligent, um, um, uh, cartoon animated guy. And he, um, and he's animated too. He's not, he's animated shows and he's animated. Um, not, not animated, he's not a cartoon, you know what I mean. Um, but episode 1 and 8 are kind of a continuous commentary where he just talks with Chuck McCann about Chuck McCann's life, and Chuck is fun, he does impersonations, and he just he tells all these stories of working in TV in the 50s and 60s, which are so much fun. And if you, it, it, in some respects, it might ground you a bit for watching on the air to, to see, like, have someone talk about shows from that time but i recommend if you can get those maybe someone put them on youtube i know they're long out of print but if you can get that set the show is lots of fun and if you want to learn more about chuck mccann and tv at that time especially like kids tv in the morning you know where it was stuff like you know we're gonna hire you on and you're gonna do the you're gonna do the uh, 6 a.m to 9 a.m slot five times a week live you got it you know it's like that sounds crazy but that's the kind of junk they used to do so chuck mccann annie bloom and the great guest stars I think this is a pretty fine episode of the show. Uh, we're going to hop from here to right now. Oh, here it comes, folks. You're going to hear the theme one more time. We are going to Nero Wolf, the final episode. Join me and Tim talking about it and the series in general after a little bit of the theme. Nero Wolf, episode 14. 
13, the final episode, June 2nd, 1981, Sweet Revenge. Directed by George McGowan, returning for the third or fourth time, and written by Ben Roberts. In this one, a we are we start off in a, like a warehouse. I want to say down by some docks, but it could just be in a warehouse. A gentleman who may be in a really bad disguise hires two hitmen to kill Archie and Wolf. Uh, so transient gentleman sleeping in the warehouse hears that going on, runs away from these three guys, and is mortally wounded. Winds up in the hospital where he babbles. They call Inspector Kramer and Archie, and they, he, before he dies, he kind of babbles out that it looks like someone wants to kill Archie and Wolf. So Wolf and, and Archie begin to investigate who might want to kill them. As they're investigating that, obviously the two hitmen are coming after them. And uh, I, guess I won't go too long on this one, just uh, who could it be who hired these hitmen and who want Archie and Nero Wolf dead? Could it be the ex-con who just got out of prison after three years or five years for a robbery where they never found the money? Who on the stand said that he was going to take care of Archie and Wolf, as in kill them? Could it be him? Or could it be someone else? Tim and I are on the other side of this blast one last time. Please join us. Sweet Revenge, the final episode of Nero Wolf, episode 14, the end. This will be... I tried to count the other day, and um, I don't know why I didn't actually go back and look at the previous episodes, but I believe this is the 18th show, or the 19th, we have completed on Eventually Super Train in four and a half years. So that's pretty cool. That, that's, that's I don't know how many episodes that is. I mean, episodes, individual episodes, not, I know where this is episode 99, I know that, but uh, individual episodes. But yeah, so this is... um the 18th or 19th show that we're completing on here. The first one we completed, of course, was Cliffhangers, and the next one we will complete is On the Air, and uh, boy, we, we've done a lot of a lot of crazy junk on here, which is good, which is awesome. So this is Sweet Revenge. This is the last episode of Nero Wolf, and for one last time, I have on here the great Tim S. Turner. Mr. Turner, how are you today? I'm doing great. I, I'm, I'm kind of bummed out that uh, we're going to be wrapping up Nero, though. Yeah, yeah, it's it's always a little sad when you get to the end of it. You know, you get a groove going with someone, and then you start getting really in-depth into the show and, and, and having a good time, you know, even if the show may have a dud episode here and there. and uh, But it's always... um. <laughs> It's it's always kind of sad when it when it when it ends, but I always like to um, like I think I've said before whenever the show ends, I like to I sort of liken it to uh, like one of my favorite TV shows, Doctor Who. You know, every few years the Doctor leaves or a companion leaves or something like that, and you know the way the show and I, I guess I'm the constant on it here in a way that there isn't on I guess the TARDIS is the constant on Doctor Who. Uh, I, I you know I'm sort of the constant as we keep changing shows and guest hosts and things like that, so it's always always sad. Uh, to end it, but then next episode there'll be a brand new something or other, so that's nice too. So um, let's let's dive right into Sweet Revenge. And what are your thoughts on the last Nero Wolf episode? Um, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with you, not a great way to go out. Um, <laughs> uh, this we we discussed with the Blue Ribbon Hostage of like, oh wow, uh, there's not a lot of suspects to work with here. There's oh. literally one suspect in this. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> and it, 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 unless you're you're completely blind, you, you will know exactly who, who our uh, Perry Foot is. Oh yes, I mean way yeah. before the end of of the episode. And I will tell you, I, I for the longest time in this episode, I thought that 
his name was Harry Foot. <laughs> Maybe that's what I. And then wrote finally, down, I heard I the P. So yes, yes, Harry Foot. And I, yes, yeah, oh, I, okay. <laughs> Which would have been great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. The um. This this is an interesting one because this is where we've talked about previously how some of these episodes feel more like like just regular '80s cop shows or leftover '70s cop shows, and that's really what this is. Mm-hmm. Someone hires two hitmen to kill Archie and and Wolf, and there really is only one suspect, unless you know, unless to be honest, during the opening scene when there's a man, there's someone disguised as Mister Foot, unless you think that is. Um, Roz Kelly, then um, then you might think there are two suspects, <laughs> but there is yeah, no Pinky way in hell. Darrow goes dark. Yeah, yes, the the moment the moment you see this foot character hiring these two hitmen, and then you see the other characters, you guys aren't really. It's the it's it's literally the hitman. It's the one guy they think might be the bad guy, and then his wife. And the thing is, it can't be the hitmen, because they were hired by the other guy, and that ain't Roz Kelly, as <laughs> dressed up as Foot. You know, I've, I've always been, a, I, you know, I've always been a fan of her. As crazy as you know, you occasionally might hear she is. Um, she, I think she, I think she's, she's quite good in this. She's, she's very um, un, unpinky like, which is kind of the way I know her from a lot of things. And in New Year's Evil, of course, when she's. Um, Blaze, sure. I forget. I think her character's name yes, is Blaze. Blaze. Yes, um, but but it really is like like you said. Um, unless you really want to stretch it and think that possibly um, Ross Kelly might be the bad guy here, there is only one suspect, and that doesn't make it a mystery. That makes it like a, that makes it like a cop show kind of thing is what it is and it's almost there are almost times in it it's i'm not going to say it's like gambit um but there are almost times in it where it's more about like trying to stop the hitman kind of thing which is kind of fun but but then you know in the end when they kind of they, they don't really have any even an assembly in the in the study in the end it just happens to be the guy and his wife are there and they they catch him as he's like you said as he's the only he's the main person <laughs> it's it's well, it's, it's, tri- it's it's tricky yeah it's the thing that's just i mean okay in the the first scene uh, the way way this opens up is we've got these two hitmen who meet with Perry Foot who mm. is hiring them to <laughs> to kill <laughs> god to, to kill uh, you know Archie and, and, and Nero Wolf and when as soon as he came out with the wig and the fake beard, I could not stop laughing. I was I, I, anybody who thinks that's real yeah. is insane. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> it's the sloppiest looking crepe beard. It it was just dismal. It looked like a Halloween costume or something. And you know, and the fact that we never see or hear Perry Foot at any point during the episode, it's like Which that's is strange. That's, yeah. Well, yeah, but I mean, that, that, how many times have you seen that plot where it's like, oh, I'm perpetuating the yes. this person who's actually dead, uh, to, so I have like another suspect to throw, you mm-hmm. know, suspicion off myself. Um, you know, yeah. they even used it on Columbo in that Patrick McGowan episode, Identity Crisis, with yes. Steinmetz. Mm-hmm. You yes, know, yes, yes, yes. Which. And of course, in that, as soon as McGowan opens his mouth, you're like, "Oh, that's Patrick yeah. McGowan." 
Yes, exactly. <laughs> that, that voice is so in this. It's so distinct. Nice try. Like, nice okay, try. Yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't tell us anybody, but you know. But yeah, it, it, it was so obvious uh, who the killer was, and to the point where the entire episode, it just felt like it was all kind of just a waste of time uh, because, yeah, you, yeah. You know, you were just. We're following these um, hitmen, and you know, okay, that's fine and everything. But they're also mm-hmm. trying to play it off, like you said, like it's a mystery. Yeah. Who, you know, who's Perry Foot? Where is he? And it's it's pretty obvious where he's at. Yes. Uh, yeah, and and the uh, I mean, some of the hitmen stuff is fun. I do like these sort of mirror image scenes of them. Uh, in the police station where they're being questioned, I, I I thought those were those were fun scenes, and and we do see that in the back of the greenhouse, um, that it uh, goes to the portion that goes in the backyard rather than the street. There is a fire escape or ladder down there, that yes. goes down into the garden or whatever they have in the back there. Now the front of it, I don't know what they have. This is in reference to the episode Gambit and our previous episode Blue Ribbon Ding Dong. Um, where the where the Mr. Garbage sneaks out the window and like apparently Spider-Man's down. Um, so so we do learn that that they're in the backyard, but I don't think he went in the backyard in the but that was the previous episode. It's yeah, it's it's a weird episode because it really does. You almost wish they could have done like Gambit and just said to heck with the mystery. Just just maybe it wouldn't have been great if it was like the Pink Panther strikes again and Mr. Foot hired like ten assassins. And there was just like yeah. assassins everywhere, and it was you know because it's it the episode has its its charms and um but the, but the thing about it too is that forgive, forgive me I could be wrong here but like like you're in the warehouse with Mister Foot and somewhere around there you start to see like the guest cast member names come up and the moment you see one of them you're like oh that's him okay yeah. and, then, and then you see him like ten minutes later you're like oh it's him it's him. What, why, why is it? Is it not meant to be him? Is there, is there like a trick I'm missing? Because that's yeah. what happened during the, during the closing when they're like, when they do the big reveal. I kept thinking, are they going to do something where they, where they kind of play a trick on us and it turns out to be the wife who did all this? And then you're like, but it yeah. can't be because, because the guy who was dressed as foot was like six foot tall, you know, yeah. and clearly a guy. Not Roz Kelly, who's probably, I don't know, 5'3", five, 5'4", five, 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 something. I don't know how tall she is. But she's certainly not taller than the hitmen were. And it's it's just a weird episode where it, it falls, like, in between, like, two, like, realms. Like, they, they want it to be a Nero Wolf mystery, but they also want it to be a fun thing with hitmen coming after Archie and, and Nero. And the hitman stuff isn't as much fun as it could be, and the mystery isn't a mystery at all. And so it ends up, like you said, it almost ends up feeling kind of like. So what's the point of this? And 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 I'll let you talk some more in a minute because I just had one more thought. There there is the thing where they're like, um, uh, you know, like, well, who 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 got out of prison recently who might want to kill us? Oh, this guy. And they go to him, and he's like, yeah, I said that, but uh, I'm, I, I don't really want to kill you. I just said that, like, in the heat of the moment. But then at the end, it's like, oh, yeah, he meant that. That's what all this is. And, in fact, it's in the title of the episode, Sweet Revenge. You know, it, it kind of gives the game away, guys. 
you know yeah. um and and so it's a it's a weird episode in that it um it it ends up being and and even too like the 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 final reveal in the sitting room is almost like a sneak up on you kind of moment because it's like where's all the money where's all the money and then the 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 main guy mr mr foot um turns in so like oh i I was given this money and i'm turning this into the police and you think okay where's it gonna go next and then all of a sudden it's over like a scene later you're like what what happened what's going on and um it's uh yeah it's a it's a weird episode not like you said not a great way to end i mean if if i you know i i'm sure they weren't sitting around going well this is our last one um uh, but boy, you, you would have thought they would have gone out like a good mystery, because this is not a good mystery. This is just kind of um, um, the the only thing about it that's mysterious is you you sit there like you said it looks more or less like in the opening scene watching going, who's that guy with the fake beard and the fake thing? What is happening? Why is this going on? And, and the raspy just, and boys. That, <laughs> yes, and it kind of works through everything it has to work through, and then when you get to the end, it's sort of like, eh. You know, and even stuff like there, there's a moment where um, Archie quits and leaves Wolf's employ, but the episode itself is so sort of underwhelming that even that I kept forgetting that that happened. So, <laughs> so a little late, later on, like like um, oh, I th- I thought you quit, Archie. No, no, I just oh, that's right, he did quit. And then in the end, they mention it again, something about raises, and it's like, it's, it's. I don't know. It's it's almost like I mean maybe they knew it was the last episode and they couldn't get the energy level up or something. But but apart from a few moments, it's um everyone's trying and there's certainly a lot of things going on. But it really is kind of much ado about nothing in the end because it's um I would love I would love to see it if they just made it like a cop show kind of thing where like you knew it was that guy and they had to well like a Columbo that you knew it was that guy and they had to prove it. But it's not yeah. kind of like that. They act like it's not that guy and then when it turns out to be that guy eh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. What else do you have is I don't I know you know I know I I hate to end on a on a kind of a dud episode but that's if if that's what it is that's what it is, you know. Well, so uh... I see. I think, you know, you know how when they when they order a, uh, a series, they usually go, you know, they order the thirteen, and then mm-hmm. if it's picked up for the rest of the season, they get what's called the back nine. Mm-hmm. And I I think that you know they maybe they thought well if this doesn't go anywhere, we'll do this thing where Archie quits and we'll play a guessing game till the end of the episode, and then oh mm. <laughs> they're back together, you uh... know. Uh, for like a happy ending. Um, there's a couple of things in it that I enjoyed. I enjoyed the mm-hmm. fact that we got the the return of Pete Drossos. Yes, that was fun to see. <laughs> from the Golden yeah. Spiders. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it was kind of neat to have that connective tissue there. And it made you kind of think, again, if this series went a couple of seasons, maybe we would see Pete some more. Mm-hmm. You know, on the street, maybe he'd be more like like a he'd be a mole. You know, like the North Avenue yes. regular yeah. Or something. You know? Yeah, yeah, or, yeah. <laughs> well, North Avenue Baker Street regular. Yes, um, yes. North Avenue regulars is a damn Disney movie. Um, <laughs> what the hell? Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I like that. I I I really like uh, Ed Lauder, but uh, mm-hmm. it, it's just it's so silly. Uh, that that they really thought that you wouldn't suspect that somebody was in disguise. Yes. 
yeah. that outfit. Yeah, I mean, I, it, it's so ridiculous. That that's the thing at the end of it is that you you you're sitting watching it going, it's like it's 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 almost like what what is it like uh the um the the uh the classic uh 3D movie from like 1954 with Raymond Burr and Anne Bancroft Gorilla at Large, where it's mm-hmm. about a it's about a gorilla, but there's also a guy. Yes, there's also a guy dressed in a gorilla suit killing people trying to blame it on the real gorilla. But the problem is that the real gorilla is actually played by a guy in a gorilla suit too. So it gets right. a little confusing trying to figure out who's supposed to be the guy in the gorilla suit, who's the guy, and who's the actual gorilla, which has a guy in it. And so it's like you watch the scene with, you know, Mr. 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 Uh, Mr. Foot there. And it's sort of like you sit there going, now, am I supposed to be thinking that this is the way this guy looks? Or am I supposed to be kind of going, is this a, this is a clearly a disguise? And in the end, it's tricky because they intimate that he was supposed to look exactly like the guy looked. Right, uh, because when, Saul when, comes in dressed up at, yeah. Yes, and you can't be him. You can't be him. And then you see that, and for a moment, I thought, what, you, you can't be someone in a bad disguise? Or, because <laughs> it's like, so... I, and the thing is, like, they don't show... I mean, maybe it would have been better if they, like, had shown a picture. Did they show a picture of Mr. Foot or anything? Nope. I don't think so. Because no, if they they'd never did. A, if they'd shown a picture... I mean, because to me, like you, like, like we said, it, it, like, that opening scene looks like a guy in a bad disguise hiring hitmen to kill someone. But then in the end, you're led to believe that he was impersonating someone, and that bad disguise was how that person looks. Yes. And so it's a little... <laughs> It's a little weird, and and because they never show like a picture of the guy or anything, they just randomly keep saying his name. It never quite, kind of like the Archie quits thing. It never quite connects or something, or it never quite hits the bullseye. But what I want listeners to understand is, when we're talking about this disguise, it yes. literally looks like it's on the same level as those Groucho Marx glasses yes. with the nose and the mustache you can buy at the store. That's what it looks like. <laughs> it it, it yes. literally looks like a cheap plastic you know, uh, get-up with, with a, a goofy fake hair beard mm-hmm. and dark glasses that he's wearing at night, by the way. And you think, and yeah, and, and sort of the way they're standing in the warehouse, kind of in the darkness there, you think the hitmen are like, okay, we've been hired for junk like this before. But like I said, like at the end, he's supposed to be caught out by the fact that suddenly Mr. Foot appears. Yes. And then suddenly you see someone in that same bad disguise. Yeah. It's like, wait a minute. So <laughs> I'd hate to think, like, oh. if I, you know, when I leave this world, you know, people will only remember me as like if they ever dress up as Dan, it'll be just like a bad disguise. You know, there won't be any. And... Yeah, just these glasses and sometimes a beard, sometimes not. It'll just be. <laughs> it's kind of. It's like I was thinking of like like in, when Inspector Clouseau would get dressed up in yes. outfits and things. <laughs> yeah. You know, and he would when he would go to like Harvey Corman. I think he was the guy who used to give him the disguises, and he would sell him the disguises. Was it Professor Balls or something like? That? Am I yes. making that up? <laughs> <laughs> um uh um but that's sort of what and it's it's tricky because the the tricky thing about like starting an episode like that is if you don't nail that if you don't i mean it's it's once you see the names of the star like i said the guest stars in the episode and you think of that guy in the disguise you think oh it was that guy 
and the whole thing drops. You either have to nail it completely and fool everyone, or not do that. How about that? How about that idea? Why not just keep them in the dark the whole time? And they could have found a different way to reveal it in the end. You know, um, but it's, it's, yeah, it's funny because it's kind of based on a goofy scene that, um, and it never quite sheds that, unfortunately. Sorry, Sweet Revenge. Well, yeah, I, and, I, and if, again, if people think we're fascinated and we're spending too much time on this, wait till you, if you watch it and you see the outfit, yes. you'll know exactly what we mean. Uh, it's literally, it's on the level of, say, if you ever watched any of the, um, the old Boston Blackie movies with Chester Morris, when him mm. and the runt would just get disguises yes. that were just anybody <laughs> could see through except for Inspector Faraday. Um, <laughs> everybody else is fooled, yeah. but Inspector Faraday is like, oh, that, that can't be Boston Blackie doing that horrific <laughs> Swedish accent. <laughs> um, you know, but <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. It, it's, it's pretty, it's almost, it's borderline insulting. How bad it is. Unfortunately, yeah, it is sort of one of those things you're like, oh, gosh, yeah, this doesn't – it doesn't work. You tried. And the tricky thing is, like, it's set in, like, a dark warehouse, so they could have just kept them just a little bit more in the darkness. Yeah. You know, or maybe you could have seen – but you see him full on. There he is. Oh, yeah. You know, and and as we said, there are only – there are really only two other people in the cast, and one of them is kind of a semi-short – woman with red hair and the other is a tall bald guy <laughs> who do you think it is in the in the outfit and it's 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 weird because the moment the it's it's because uh, you know I, i'm trying to think if i was i don't think i was bored watching this episode but i did have a bit of okay like you said like what's the point of it and so when it get when it gets to the end and um you know you get the big reveal it's 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 funny when it got to the ending i almost kind of thought let's just end now i think let's <laughs> wrap it up huh just do we even need this scene uh and then it's 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 funny too because for the second episode in a row the big reveal is something where it's like how's that where did that big reveal come from well i had Saul do this and he found this where when how what what? What's going on? They did that in the previous episode where yeah. Saul ran like a background check on the killer in between when they asked everyone over and when they showed up. And in this one, in between, I guess when the money is given to Archie and he takes it to the police and when they arrive a little bit later to check in Wolf's place to check on the money, somewhere in there Saul sneaks into their apartment, goes in like a crawl space and finds what he needs. Right. So it's sort of like, eh, okay, guys, I don't, uh, I'm wondering, like, did, did they care even at this point? You know, I don't know. It's tough to say, but what what else do you have on this one? I don't want to, you know, I don't want to completely, you know, bad mouth it. But there are a few nice ones. I think I thought Roz Kelly was, was really good in it. Yeah, I um, thought she, was, she did a good job. You know, like you said, she's, she's not, you know, pinky at all. Yes. Which is nice. She's playing an actual character, and um, I, I love Ed Lauder. Uh, I've I've always liked him as as a character actor. I think he's he does fine with what he's given. Uh, not that he's given a lot to work with, um, but you know the, the rest of the episode is it. There's not a lot going on, even though there appears to be a lot there going really on. Isn't. 
there really isn't. It's really just it's really just two two hitmen coming after them. Then when the two hitmen are caught, and he kind of knows that Archie and he's not going to get Archie or Wolf that way, he decides to do the plan of I'm going to turn in some of the money, saying I was given this, and then that'll kind of throw suspicion off me, mm-hmm. but it doesn't. Yeah, and it's um, and it's tricky because it, yeah. Uh, honestly, I, I I think that this episode could have been twenty minutes long. <laughs> this could have been a half hour if this were the if this were the fifties. This would have been a half an hour episode and would have been action packed and thrilling at yeah. at you know an hour and fifty minutes and 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 an hour long time slot at fifty minutes long. Um, they have to pack it full of drama and stuff just to just like you said to make you forget the moment you realize there's only one suspect that's the goofiest moment yeah then you think <laughs> wouldn't it have been great then if they had just began it with like he hires the hitman i mean i do like the sequence where like the the sort of bum homeless guy sorry sir i didn't mean to call you a bum i mean a homeless gentleman in the <laughs> warehouse where they shoot him i like that scene and he's kind of looking out towards the cop car with the light shining on him and um, yeah I, I like I like that that that's a nice that's a nice moment but there, but there really is like I don't know I guess I'll stop talking because I just sound like I'm I'm being really negative <laughs> there are there are moments in it there are moments in it to enjoy it's just it's not a in any way shape or form it's not a murder mystery it should have been he should have the the guy should have gone home you should have seen him maybe like maybe like he goes into his apartment. And he goes in like the bathroom and starts taking off his disguise, and then you hear his wife say, "Honey, is that you?" He said, "Oh, I'll be right there." Just and he starts taking off the disguise faster. You know, right. like, why is he? Why is he doing this? You know, why does he want Archie and Wolf dead? And if he just got out of prison, where did he get the money to hire the? You know, and th- that might have been more interesting to see it like that if we had like spent a little more time with him, seeing like him setting it up and doing his thing. But as it is, as they try to present him as a suspect, you never go in as deep as you, you might might make it work more dramatically, and so it just ends up being like it. I mean, I guess the best moment in the episode is probably in the end when Archie says "most satisfactory" to Wolf. Yes, and that's how the series ends. And right there, like, okay, if that's gonna, it wasn't a great episode, but that's a nice ending. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it, what it reminded me of the whole episode, <clears throat> it, it it reminded me of you know like the the fifties man or Peter Gunn, the the, mm. the the thirty minute detective shows, uh you know you could have had the you know the the gangsters the the hitman running around trying to kill them and then boom the, the resolution in twenty two minutes. Yes, and and it would have been tight. It would have been a tighter thing. It wouldn't have been Nero Wolf, of course, mm-hmm. but it, it definitely would have been a, a more action-packed, interesting, exciting episode. But literally doubling that running time, and trying to have so, pretend like there's any mystery at all as to who's under the fake beard. Um, <laughs> I think that, that really stretched credibility past. Yes, the Unfor- unfortunately, yeah. Uh, so. I'm, I'm just going to scan my notes for I have anything else on this one. I was really hoping it would end with a zinger of a mystery where we could have really talked about it, but um, it, it 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 doesn't. So uh, <laughs> no. That's, uh, for this, yeah, okay. Yeah, that's kind of all I have uh, for this one. Same. Um, okay. So yeah, any background on anyone? I mean, we've already talked about the, there isn't anyone in it apart from Ed Lauder and, and Roz Kelly. So um, we know them, and we know and love them. You can, you know. The, the, yeah. There's no... 
I guess, Roz, this must be like right after she did uh, New Year's Evil, right? This was, yeah, this was 81. Yeah, New Year's Evil was like late 79, early 80. So this is probably like a year or so after that, or maybe less, less, probably less. Yeah, I, I, unfortunately, I know she didn't work a lot, at, you know, after yeah. that. So yeah. I, I think that was, I think her, I think 83 is her last credit. Oh, wow. Her last screen credit. Yeah, I, you know, I know, um, I know they they say they had problems with her on Happy Days, and to be honest, I'm I'm not hugely enamored of the Pinky uh, character. I'm kind of glad the Fonz, um, you know, they let that go. I much prefer, as I've said before, I much prefer um, Linda Pearl and Heather O'Rourke joining the cast in season ten when they have their romance because I think it's a lot more fun. Yeah. To see this, like like a CPA or whatever the heck she was, like, <laughs> and the Fonz starting a romance, I think is much funnier and much more charming than the female version of the Fonz showing up. Well, you know what's interesting, I, I and this shows just how long it's been since I've really watched, sat and watched a lot of Happy Days, because um, mm. I watched it, you know, from from the beginning when it f- first aired. Um, I my memory was like, oh yeah, Pinky was there for like three seasons. No, mm. she was in three episodes. <laughs> yep, she's in yep, three she's... episodes, and then she's in an episode of Blansky's Beauties. Yes, as Pinky. Yeah, she makes it... yeah and, and that's uh, it. Leather, leathers, and more episodes than Pinky is. Yeah, definitely. Right. Yeah, but yeah. isn't it isn't it weird how your your nostalgia tells you you hear yes. Pinky Tuscadero? Oh, was... she must have been in it for years. No. Yeah. <laughs> No, no, yeah, that was, I mean, that was, I, season four is when Happy Days, I think, ratings-wise, was at its absolute height. Yeah. And I know they did, they did promote that the Fonz gets a girlfriend on the season premiere of Happy Days, more or less. And so I know it was promoted, and I think it's, it's a, it's a big part of, um, it's, it's sort of a big part of pop culture, but it's actually, it was a teeny-weeny part of the show. <laughs> and, um... Yeah, and uh, yeah, I like Roz Kelly. I mean, obviously she was in the Paul Lind Halloween special, so that forgives a lot of sins. <laughs> yes. Just, just, just her in the trucker scene with uh, Paul and Tim Conway and Billy Barty. That's enough to. Um, oh my god! And just hear, hearing her sing every time she sings in that, and my wife walks by. She's like, "Oh, Roz, no, no, no." <laughs> No, because she's like she she's like she doesn't sing a lot of times. She kind of screams. It's like oh no 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 no. Um, but uh, but yeah, and of course Ed Lauder's been in a thousand things. You you'll know you know him when you see him. Um, yeah. but I I guess I guess I guess that's it for Sweet Revenge. Um, not a great ending to the series. Maybe they were trying something new. We'll never know. Obviously, um. Uh, but uh, I, I guess now if we, we I, we're wrapping it up here, folks. It's always, like I said, it's always sad uh, when we end one show, but then it's always happy because that means uh, we're beginning another one. Um, now Tim won't be here. <laughs> Your contract's up, sir. You are fired. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, no, no. But I, I want to ask you overall. So we've gone over the past um, how many six months now or so? We've gone over all. Um, all fourteen episodes. What? What are just your? What? What are your fi- sort of final thoughts on 1981's Nero Wolf? Well, okay, I I know you're you're a, you're a huge fan of the A and E version with uh, mm-hmm. Timothy Hutton and Maury Chaykin. Maury Chaykin, yeah, and I think it, it, it's just an example of uh, timing um, mm-hmm. because 
would it have been as good if they had if those two guys had been transplanted to the eighties? Um, because as much as I like Lee Horsley and I really like William Conrad, and it ha- I felt the series had a strong opening couple episodes, and I really I I have a guilty pleasure love for Gambit. Um, it it. it it felt too much like generic 80s cop or detective show. Uh, like, at a certain point, they're like, ah, you know, I guess we could use the novels, but, you know, we've got this script from J.J. Uh, Starbuck, so uh, let's yeah, use let's that see, one. Yeah. Or, or mm-hmm. the law on Harry McGraw or something, you know. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, we'll, we'll use one of those scripts. Uh, it, we'll just somehow get, uh, you know, Wolf in there, and he'll, he'll have a speech at the end or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the thing that distressed me, uh, distressed me, like it really affected my life, but I mean, uh, <laughs> was I think like the first half, uh, you know, of the season, it, it felt like we were getting a lot of really wonderful character moments, you know, yes. Wolf and, 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 and uh, Archie and, uh, you know, and, and Fritz and Theodore and, and there was, and even, even Inspector Kramer, I, I came around to liking Alan mm-hmm. Miller's Kramer, because in this episode, yes. there was actually a callback to his, where he says, well, "How do you get out of a chair yes. without using your hands or whatever?" You know, and it was a can-do attitude, you know, or something. It was, yeah, it was a, what was it? oh, it was a strength of character. Strength of character, yes. And, yes. and I thought that was a great little moment, and you, yes. you kind of got like for a second there, like there was kind of like a wink uh, between the two characters that they sort of mm-hmm. respect each other yes. a little bit. And they just kind of play a game with each other of like not liking each other, you know. The season it was just standard cop fare that they squeezed Nero Wolf, the concept of Nero Wolf, into, and it it kind of I, I think it kind of lost its way, which was a real bummer. Yeah, I um I I. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with most of what you said. I this this was as I've said many times before. Um, you know, I was. You know, I was a I was a kid when this would originally aired, and I I may have been watching Dukes of Hazard uh, during the first half rather than than Nero Wolf. I I don't remember, but um, but I had such a tough time in the '80s with hour long shows like this. And watching this, I can see why that was. I think I think you're right. I think it starts off like they're really trying. And then somewhere in it, six, seven episodes, maybe a little bit later, it's like they just, they do sort of give up, like, you know, it's tough to come up with a mystery. I know. Can't we just do cop stuff instead? Sure. Yay! And then they just do cop stuff instead, and that's that's sort of what it feels like. And it's a show that, um, uh, it's, it's tricky, I, um... I, I don't know if I will go back to this show. I have it on DVD, so one day I may try it again. But um, it didn't it didn't grab me enough in the end to um, to kind of pull me back. And there were so many, like, like you said, with the character moments too. One of the things very early on that we liked, even in episodes that we had some troubles with, was the character stuff between everyone in the house. But that kind of sort of lessens a bit as the show goes along. And gets replaced like in like, with like just lots of suspects or lots of incident or lots of not incident and 
very few suspects and you know in in some of the shows we talk about they the shows hit the ground running and i think like like ellery queen for example i think ellery queen hits the ground running as a fantastic season of television oh yeah um some shows like manimal sort of start off and you're like where's this going and as it goes along and you sort of realize it you realize that they're not taking it quite as seriously as you think they are and that kind of makes it a little more fun. And when it ends, you're like, oh, I would have liked to have seen where they went with that. But then other shows like this one, especially the, the big example of all the ones I've done, has to be Beyond Westworld. I mean, <laughs> the, five episodes, the five episodes of Beyond Westworld, I get the premise. But what were they doing? I mean, it, it, it's, 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 I'm, you know, I'm surprised it lasted, you know, three episodes on the network. Um, but, and Nero, unfortunately, some of the shows like Shadow Chasers too is one where I think Shadow Chasers starts off strong and then through many of its episodes, it's very uneven and you'll get an episode that's really great followed by one where it's like, uh, what were they doing there? And luckily, Shadow Chasers ends the episode, is it ahead of time or out of time? I forget. The last episode of Shadow Chasers is probably my favorite. So they end on a really strong note. Um, but there is, with Shadow Chasers, there is a feeling that because it ends like that, that where's it going to go next? Whereas Wolf here, I, f- I feel like I know where it's going to go next. The episode is going to become more copy, cop-like. Yeah, it's very formula, become- yeah. Yeah, it's very formula. It's very, very 80s formula. Very, the mystery may even vanish away. <laughs> Who knows? You know, they may they may do more episodes like this with hitmen running around trying to kill them. And it's just, I, I sort of, when I get to the end of this, I think it's almost like like another show that, that, that I, I covered on here that I would have liked to have seen more episodes of, but I was perfectly happy when I got to the end was The Immortal with Christopher George. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that that was a show where I liked quite a few of the episodes in that. But when you get to the end, you sort of realize that unless they're going to just if if they're just going to treat this like the fugitive, then this has nowhere to go. If, if but if they're going to try to sort of develop something, you know, like like maybe he meets another immortal. Maybe I forget in the very last episode when I talked about the very last episode of the immortal, I spent like ten minutes doing my season two ideas. <laughs> but the, the immortal was one when I got to the end of it. I was like, okay, if this was all they were planning on doing with the sh- with with this premise, then I'm fine right here. I don't need to see any more. And with Wolf, you know, they slightly change the premise as they go along from mystery to cop show. And if that's where this was going, I'm okay with stopping right here. Yeah, they gave it. They gave it a shot. They they did their best. I mean, when it starts off, it almost has a feel like, okay, we're gonna try to transcend our 80s-ness we're going to try to make this one for the ages <laughs> but then then very quickly you know seven eight episodes into it you're like oh whatever just just do this i don't know and oh uh, and i i guess the um it, it just to me as a viewer and, and then I'll, I'll stop yam uh yakking um uh but to me as a viewer i think the thing is that so like when I watched the first couple episodes, I remember thinking, okay, this was okay. But somewhere in there, early on, like around episodes like three to six or something, I would get to the end of an episode and want to see the next one. Yeah. And I did that a few times. I did that a few times up until around like eight or nine or so. You know, I would get to, and especially like not in these last few. You know, I'd get <laughs> to the end of the episode and be like, okay, I'll watch the next one tomorrow. But there was a point in the beginning, I, I want to say around like three, four, five, six, where I would get to the end of the episode and I'd be like, you know what, 
I'm not going to take notes on it, but I'd like just like to see the next one. And then I'll watch the next one. And there was one day where I think I watched three in a row early on. And that was great. To me, that's like, that's fun. I'm enjoying this. You know, I'm, the mysteries aren't as good as they could be, but I'm enjoying it. But then this last four or five episodes, they began to lose me. And and if, if it had been something that would have been like a one-off, sort of like, okay, they're trying something, like Gambit, they're trying something, now they're back to it, that would be fine. But, but it's clear they're trying to make it something different. And I am not, eh. You know, do, do I recommend the show? I'd recommend you you watch the A and E show. To be honest, um, uh, it's better production values. I um, it's it's uh, I I I like Lee Horsley in this, but he's no Tim Hutton, and I like William Conrad in this, but Maury Chaykin really to me is like a, the Jeremy Brett version of like Nero Wolf. He's he's like he completely gets in there, and um, and Chaykin's the the um, David Suchet is what you're saying. Yes, yes, more or less, yes, yes. He's he's the he's to me is sort of the definitive from what I've seen of the of the wolves. Yeah, uh, do, do I recommend it? There's some fun stuff if if you like early '80s detective cop shows, you 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 won't go wrong with this. If you like Nero Wolf and Good Mysteries, you're going to go a little astray. So I'm glad I watched it, but I I don't know if I'll head back to it. So. Uh, anything else, Tim? No, I just, you know, I, I really do look at it as somewhat of a missed opportunity. I, I think that there yes. was so many, I think I think the elements were all there. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I think that the, the, for the most part, I thought the brownstone looked fine. It wasn't mm-hmm. as expansive as, as, you know, I know someone like you would like it to be, but I, you know, I thought it was okay. Um, and I, I love William Conrad. Um, I thought Lee Horsley was was charming, and I thought he was fine. And the the rest of the characters, I I really enjoyed. I don't think George Weiner was much of a factor as Saul Panzer. No, really, he no, barely yeah. appears in 14 yes. episodes. I think he's in like four, four or five, and that's about it. Yeah. And like yeah. he, I think he's in the last two episodes here, but he barely registers. He has almost no lines. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but other than that, I mean, I really thought. Uh, they captured a lot of stuff that with the the character that I thought was was fine. You know, he always you had Wolf in his his yellow silk shirts and mm-hmm. his pajamas and all and such. And you know, he had his orchids, et cetera, et cetera. And so in that regard, I thought that I, I thought that was fine. But it just really felt like at a certain point, like about the halfway mark, they just kind of were like, yeah. Just, just give give that uh, BL Striker script over to. Uh, <laughs> yes. I'm trying to come up with as many obscure '80s series as I can. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, 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 it's a missed opportunity, is what I would say. I, I, yeah, I think but... there's a couple of fun episodes, and, and mm. I think if you want to enjoy the character work uh, of this, the the main characters, I think there's some charming moments. Yes. That are fun, but yeah, I mean, if if you're a huge wolf fan, I don't know if you, how thrilled you would be by it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I guess let's uh, let's wrap this up, Tim. Uh, if I, I I don't think I have anything more to say here. And if if you're if you're good, where can we one last time? One where last. can we find you online? Well, uh, I am the uh, co-host, along with Kelly Hogaboom, of Beauty, the Beast, and the Bees, a B-movie podcast that uh, we release. We try to do it every two months. Uh, And uh, our uh, website is bbnps.net. 
Uh, we are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you know, all of your, your social media needs. Our next episode is the, well, what do we have? We have the rental and, uh, which is the, the film directed by Dave Franco and starring his wife, Alison Brie. And, um, you know, it's a lot of fun. Uh, hope you guys will uh, check it out. And, uh, Dan, it's been a lot of fun, uh, discussing yeah. Zero Wolf with you. Yeah, it's been a good time. And I, I, and if you'd like to come back, please. Absolutely. Please come on back. We'll, we'll find something else to, we'll find something else to do. So again, thank you. And, uh, this was Nero Wolf, everyone. Let's, um, let's, uh, let's go on. Let's wrap this episode, uh, up. Say goodbye to Wolf, Archie, and the Brownstone. And, uh, maybe one day we'll come back. Maybe there's something else we can do on here. But for now, goodbye, guys. And let's go on to this. And that's it, folks. That's episode 99. Next up, the big episode 100. What do I have planned? Well, the, the next Auto Man and the next On the Air and a brand new old show begins. By the time you listen to episode 100, if you're listening to all episodes, uh, you may have a good clue as to what's next. But 100 is up next. This was 99. Thank you, Kristen. Thank you so much, Tim. Thank you for the, the Nero Wolf journey, Tim. The ups and downs of the Nero Wolf journey. And uh, let's see, uh, where can you find us online? Eventually supertrain.blogspot.com at eSupertrain1 on Twitter. Uh, let's see, eventually supertrain on Facebook. You can email me at Danny, D A N N Y, slacks, S L A C K S, at yahoo.com. And just, uh, yeah, feel free to send something nice or just, you know, say something nice or suggest a show that you think I, I don't know of because I don't know a lot of them so I've got you know I've got a short list here but when you go episode by episode you don't tear through the shows really I mean some of you do like on the air we're almost done with and I feel like we just started that but uh, you don't really tear through them so uh, yeah th- thanks so much everyone for listening um, be good to yourselves uh, I th- believe this is coming out right before Thanksgiving of 2020 so for my folks listening in the U.S. happy Thanksgiving I hope it's a good day I know uh, we're not really seeing our families and such and friends you know we're still staying in the house but um, I've got some friends in the house I've got George the dog he has several stuffed animals that I enjoy talking to here here's here's the yellow bear hi everybody I'm the yellow bear and happy Thanksgiving you see so we're not going to be lonely here we're going to have a great time. What about me, Mr. Bat? Oh, Mr. Bat, just sit right there. I'm trying to wrap up the episode. We're all going to sit down, and we're going to have Thanksgiving, and we're going to eat Mr. Bat. What the hell? I'm just kidding, Mr. Bat. So that was episode 99. You guys are the coolest. Listen to this. We'll talk to you next time.